Hello and welcome to Quiz Time India, India's first quizzing and trivia podcast. Did you know on a clear moonless night the human eye can detect a match being struck 50 miles away? Or did you know the Incas measured time by counting how long it took to cook potatoes? If you like and didn't know such curious and epicurious facts, you have come to the right place, the right podcast. Quiz Time India. First up to begin the episode, I need to thank all the people who have donated, contributed to the podcast in the last few weeks. Sanjay, Sri Lakshmi, Sudeep, Guna, Sudhir and the other anonymous users. You have all been an excellent audience. I couldn't have asked for anything better. Remember just like these folks you can support us by contributing to the podcast you can donate to keep the show running you can go to www.instamojo.com/@studio41 instamojo.com/@studio41 or www.paypal.me/studio41pod www.paypal.me/studio41pod contribute whatever amount you like no amount is less and every penny counts links are in the description now let us get to some quizzing first of all there has been a pending audience question sudhir bai was on the show last week and this was his question a work of art which has experienced a fair amount of wear and tear which requires the the museum which hosts it to invest in a lot of repair and maintenance The first such recorded cleaning of the work was in 1809 which was a simple wash and re-varnishing. Another such incident was in 1906 when a team of experts performed watercolor retouches on areas that were disturbed by a crack in the panel. Then there was also another correction that was made in 1913 which was needed because there was a theft. So this correction was needed. after the painting was recovered the same team were asked to touch up areas where there were several scratches uh, with the watercolor there were two public attacks on this painting in the 50s so again a restorer had to touch up the damage which was done to the subject's left elbow in 1977 this painting suffered a insect infestation Eventually in 2005 the painting was moved to a more secure location and it was enclosed in a climate controlled case within a bulletproof glass so the question is name this high maintenance painting which usually disappoints those who see it for the first time and the correct answer was of course the mona lisa Among the many folks who gave the correct answer we pick one winner to get the title of the quizzer of the week yeah something new that i'm trying and his name is Sham Yagnaraman Sham congratulations and thank you for participating now to this week's episode this week on the show we have a special special guest and his name is Mohammad Nidal Nidal is an anime and a comic book buff RPG dungeon master and a former restaurateur. He co-founded Quiz Pro Quo and currently works as the community manager for Shasan, the political strategy board game. And on that note, welcome to Quiz Time India. Hello and welcome to another episode of Quiz Time India. My name is Aditya. I am your host and quiz master. Well, I'm not the only quiz master. Each week we have a special guest with whom I trade trivia with. And uh, this week on the show we have someone from Nambakurla again. Nambakurla folks, as we have previously established, are the best kind. And today representing Mangalore, we have uh, Mohammad Nidal. Hello, Nidal. How are you doing? Welcome to Quiz Time India. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you very much. That was a great welcome. Yes, I, I also do feel that the people from uh, Mangalore are quite great to be around and quite great to quiz with. Yes. So I'll just uh, lay out the proceedings to get the show started. 
It is quite simple. This is especially for those who are just joining us for the first time. I have a set of questions with me. These are stories and inside these stories, you'll find clues. And at the end of the story, there'll be a question. And what Nidal will have to do is basically listen to the story and crack the question. And uh, then after that, it will be Nidal's turn. He can ask me a question and we just take turns asking each other these questions. It is not at all competitive. It is purely for quizzing sakes, for knowledge's sake and just for pure, pure, pure entertainment. So, Nadal, are you ready? Are you set for today's show? Yes, most definitely. Very excited. Uh, let's let's go. Let's start. All right. So, as is the tradition, I will take the first question. Remember, at any point, if you need a hint or uh, if you need some push or shove, I will be more than happy to do that. You just have to tell me if uh, you need one. All right. So, the first question that I have for you is... Primarily from the world of science. So, in the world of scientific theories, discoveries and inventions, an interesting pattern slash phenomenon is observed throughout history. This observation is the subject of Stiegler's Law. So, Stiegler, S-T-E-I-G-L-E-R, was named after Stephen Stiegler who was a statistics professor at the University of Chicago. Now, this is quite a relatively easy question or a straightforward question. So, we have Stephen Stegler, statistics professor at University of Chicago, and he came up with this observation in the field of uh, science and scientific discoveries and scientific inventions. Some examples of scientific discoveries that follow the Stegler's law are Venn diagram, Pythagoras theorem, Avogadro constant, Fibonacci numbers, Hitchens razor, Fermi's paradox, Chandrasekhar limit. What exactly is Stiegler's law about or Stiegler's law about? University of Chicago professor comes up with this theory where he notices an interesting pattern about scientific discoveries and it is named after him, after Stephen Stiegler and some of the examples are a Venn diagram, Pythagoras theorem, Avogadro constant, Fibonacci numbers, Fermi paradox, and Chandrasekhar limit. Okay, okay, uh, interesting. Uh, science not not really my cup of tea, but mm-hmm. I will try and give it a go. Uh, now you mentioned uh, Venn diagram. From what I understand, when I when I think of Venn diagrams, I can think of circles. Yes. When you say. Fibonacci sequence, I can think of a spiral. Mm-hmm. If I'm going the right direction, Pythagoras theorem. Not really, not really. That is not the direction. Okay, that's not the direction. Yeah. But yeah, okay. So it's not. It's nothing to do with the shapes. Nothing like that. Pythagoras theorem. Uh, again, you have the addition. Hmm. Is it something to do with addition? Because a Fibonacci sequence, again, is your addition one place. It doesn't have to do with science, actually. Okay. Although it is about the world of science, it doesn't have to do with science. Ah, okay. okay. And when I say a law, it's not a law in the strictest sense. But as I said, it was an interesting pattern about these discoveries, which was named as Stiegler's Law and named after Stephen Stiegler, a statistics professor. So all these discoveries or inventions or things like a Venn diagram, Pythagoras theorem, Avogadro constant, Fibonacci numbers, their discovery or their invention had an interesting pattern to it. Could it be something to do with when they were discovered or the time that they were discovered, the time period? Okay, so that's a better guess, but no, not to do with time period. It is applicable to things old. It is applicable to things or discoveries which are new. Hmm. And I must tell you, this is not a strictly quizzing question because there is not much for you to play with. But it is an interesting phenomenon because it just reveals so much about our world and the scientific community per se. So I thought it's a very interesting place to start off with. Okay, if you say something about our world, are these something to do with... This is something that we find innately in nature. Could that be the... No, no, no. Okay, let me uh, tell you something about this law. That Stiegler was not the first person to report this phenomenon. All right. 
when Stiegler wrote this article about Stiegler's law, he names the sociologist Professor Robert Merton as the one who came up with this idea. Does this help you? Professor Robert Merton, a sociologist. A sociologist? Yes. Okay, this is interesting. It took an interesting turn there. Like I said, drawing a blank, but quite interesting. Okay, the idea that I want you to chase is that Stiegler's law, Stiegler says it was first reported by a professor, Robert Merton. Okay. Does that help you anything? Or I'll give out the answer. Okay, why don't you give the answer? I'm very curious to know what this is about. So what sociologist Professor Robert Merton came, you know, first noticed or observed and which Stiegler made into a sort of law is that Stiegler saw that there is an interesting pattern in scientific discoveries where scientific discoveries were named after people who did not actually come up with those discoveries. And there are multiple such discoveries across science. So, for example, Arabic numerals were first developed in India. Yes. And Venn diagrams are named after John Venn, who popularized them in 1880s, but it was Euler who had introduced them earlier. And Euler did it in 1768. A Pythagorean theorem named after Pythagoras, but it was actually much before him right. that the theorem had been conceived by Babylonian mathematicians. Fibonacci numbers, again, Fibonacci was not the first person to discover the famous sequence. It is said that some Indian mathematicians since 200 BC already knew of it. Uh, Fermi's golden rule, a quantum mechanical calculations was discovered by Paul Dirac. In fact, the Fermi's paradox was uh, in an unpublished work by one Konstantin Tsiolkovsky in 1333 had already come with it uh, before Fermi. So a whole lot of these scientific discoveries were not actually done by those people. So Chandrasekhar limit is named after the famous scientist Chandrasekhar. Chandrasekhar didn't work on it. And it is, you just go on Wikipedia, you'll see hundreds of discoveries or inventions which are named after people who have not either come up with it or have nothing to do with it at times. Yes, that's that is so interesting to see that someone else has done hard work, but then it, because it is popularized by somebody else, it, they're the ones that get the sort of credit to it. You, you sort of associate the names with these sort of formulas. That is uh, really interesting. And funnily enough, even Stiegler, like you mentioned, was not the person who figured this out. It was someone else. Exactly. Was not the person who figured it out. It was Robert Merton. Yes, exactly. Great, great question. Love that. Love that. Great, great. Now it's your turn. Please take it away. Okay, so this is one of my favorites, uh, favorite questions. Mm-hmm. So here goes. So the year is the somewhere between 1905 to 1950. So the early, the dawn of uh, the, the sort of uh, 20th century, if you would. And uh, at this time, there were a lot of storefronts that had theaters. Okay. Mm-hmm. Small, simple theaters. They were not like huge theaters, but simple exhibition spaces, you could call them. All right. And they would show 10 to 15 minutes of footage in length, basically. So moving pictures. Now, these particular storefronts had a name. Mm -hmm. Okay. A joint between uh, two separate words. The name was a combination of two separate words. The first half of the word was the amount that you would spend to watch this show. Or it came from the amount that you had to spend that you watched this show. And the second half of this uh, name was the Greek word for a small roof space. Okay. Mm. So just to give you an idea, if how much you spent was bat, and if the name of the Greek word was man, then the name of this theater was Batman. Okay. Yes, this place was Batman. So that that's the first half of it. Now... Of course, as technology sort of developed further, these places, they started to die out and they were eventually forgotten by time until you came fast forward to the 1970s. Mm. Now, in the 1970s, there was something very particular happening in the world of animation. And uh, when the people in charge were deciding what to name this particular thing in the world of animation, they decided to go with the name of that storefront because they found it very whimsical, very, very fun to say. Mm-hmm. And they named this thing 
what they would call the storefronts there. Okay. These are your sort of hints or your points. Uh, if you want me to sort of break it down further, I can. Uh, I'm more than happy to. I think I have a guess for this. So so far, what we have is uh, these almost century-old theaters of sorts, right? Yes. Where they would play, you said, some ten fifteen minute clips. Was it? Yes. Yes. Correct. Right. Something like that. And the name is a sort of combination of the entry fee. Yes. And what was the other one? A roof theater, is it? Yes. Uh, the second half of the word was the Greek word, which meant a small roofed space, which hosted music shows, poetries, competitions, etc. Hmm. And then in the seventies, the name was taken for an animation thing because of its whimsicality of sorts. Yes. I think I have an idea for this. Okay. And I think I have read this quite recently. Is the money which was given to as entry fee to these theaters was it a nickel? Yes, yes, you are on the right track. And I am assuming a, the Greek word for a roof place or thing was an odeon. And when those two words came together, it became a TV show slash channel for kids. I'm assuming which was animation back then, which is Nickelodeon. Yes, that is absolutely right. That was a great, brilliant crack. Ah, this I think I read this quite recently somewhere, or someone maybe asked me this. All right, but I think it was on one of my clubhouse sessions that someone put this out. Yes, that is the uh, sort of the uh, answer. So these in the early 20th century, these small. Theaters, these small storefronts, mm-hmm. basically, so where you could just go in. A few people could uh, sort of squeeze into the space and watch uh, moving pictures. At that time, there there wasn't much of uh, you know full feature length fr- films or anything. And I'm guessing uh, those full fledged theaters hadn't come out because movies were also in a nascent stage as a you know art form. So maybe a theaters which we have a hundred or three hundred, like one thousand capacity, those wouldn't have come up until I think much much later, maybe twenties or thirties, maybe. Yes, 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 yes. So this was in the early for about ten years, so nineteen oh five to nineteen fifty. So then later on in the nineteen seventies, when they were looking, the, the company that uh, I, I believe it was Warner, Time Warner, that had the idea for the channel. The original name that they had was Pinwheel, and at that point, it wasn't a full fledged TV channel. It was just a few blocks, you know, two hours during the day, you would get cartoons. Uh, and then eventually they decided, okay, let's make a full-fledged channel only for cartoons, only for animation. Hmm. And it was initially called Pinwheel. And then they were like, okay, let's let's get a better name. And someone suggested the name Nickelodeon. Now it's a network, right? Now it's got yes, multiple it's channels network, yes. and multiple properties. But great track, yeah, great track. As I said, this was just the fact that I had heard it quite recently, and it is quite interesting actually. The entire idea of nickel and what the other word Odeon comes from. Yes, correct. All right. Now we move to the next question. Have you ever wondered why is everyone and their nana, nani, mama, kaka, mummy, papa, everyone is watching the same shows? One month it is Money Heist, another month it is GOT. Then comes Master Chef, then Bridgerton, The Crown, and it keeps going on. See, this is because OTT platforms want you to watch the same shows. Business have us. This content is an email newsletter that attempts at breaking this clutter. Handpicked shows, movies, music, podcasts, and reading recommendations just for you for free, straight to your inbox. Subscribe to this content. Link in bio. And this question is also sort of from the world of technology, and I will be describing some chemical reactions over here. But let me tell you, all of us have come across this thing. Mm-hmm. We may not have used it, but we have come across this thing. All right. So there are two types of systems which are normally employed in a particular equipment. Okay. One is a chemical mixture of sodium chlorate. Sodium chlorate is NaClO3, mm-hmm. and barium peroxide with some iron powder. All right, right. So there are two ways of doing something. Uh, equipment of using a equipment. One way is taking a chemical mixture of sodium chlorate, NaClO3, and 
barium peroxide, which is BaO2 and some iron powder. That's one way of doing it. And what is done is this chemical mixture, many sets of these mixtures are contained in insulated chambers connected to separate mechanical triggers. Okay. Once the trigger is pulled, the reaction is started and the trigger has to be pulled by a user. Once the trigger is pulled, all these chemicals, sodium chlorate and barium peroxide and the iron powder, they all mix and it is activated. And the reaction that the trigger starts, it lasts for about 15 minutes, releasing a certain gas. Now, as I said, there are two systems. This is the one system. This system is much, much better compared to the other system in which what you have is a single central source of the gas. But eventually, pretty much everywhere, it was the first system in which we had the chemical reaction of sodium chlorate and barium peroxide and iron powder, which is used in this sort of equipment. Does this make any sense, all of it? When you mention this, it sounds very familiar. I don't know from where I would have heard this, but uh, uh, especially the, the the sodium chloride mixture with uh, the iron. And uh, what is the third item you said? Barium peroxide, BaO2. BaO2. I don't know. This sounds very familiar. And uh, so these all mix and then you get a particular gas, is it? Yes, absolutely correct. And there's a trigger sort of a thing which has to be activated or pulled. I don't know what is the correct word for it. Uh, but the trigger, basically a user like uh, you and I, yes. we have to activate the uh, thing and then all of these chemicals mix and the gas is released. It is said approximately 15 minutes is the average time compared to the other system in which there's a central single source of the gas and from which we can take this gas. Where would you find these systems being used? is the question okay so whatever this machine is it releases a gas yes okay does it release only gas or is there something else that also gets released along with this as in uh what i'm trying to say is that does the combination of all these also bring about something new apart from just the gas so there are extra chemicals hmm. because there are a whole lot of things in here right barium and sodium chlorate and whatnot a lot of other chemicals are produced, but those are filtered out. And what you get is only the gas. Hmm, okay. Some sort of spray? Is it uh, something to do with the spray? No. Okay. Uh, this is something that a user, they themselves do, right? It isn't something that's involuntary or is a reaction yes. to something else? Yes. It is something which a user has to do to activate. And compared to the other system, which was, as I said, a single central source of the gas. Actually, that's what people realized. The reason why this chemical mixture uh, wala system was, in fact, preferred was that if there's a single central source of gas and if there is any issue with it, then it could lead to a lot of damage. So they, what they did is they decided to make these small insulated chambers instead of having one central source, they distributed it and hence the risk go down. The risk should go down. Yeah. Okay, so is it considered dangerous? As in whatever this is being released, would it be considered dangerous? No, on the contrary, it is necessary. It is something that's necessary. It's important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. So is it some sort of, uh, could it be something to do with, uh, you know, a fire extinguisher type situation where it's a... Uh... Great guess, but no. Okay, but is it on the similar lines, is it? Yes, exactly. It's exactly on the similar line. Just flip it maybe. Maybe flip the idea around somehow. Okay, so it doesn't put out the fire, but does it create the fire? Snuff it out in some way? Nothing to do with fire. Nothing to do with fire. Nothing to do with fire. Okay, you've got me thinking. You got the idea correct. Like how fire extinguisher works, you have to activate it and a gas comes out, right? Yes, yes, yes. Similar exactly. funda, but something totally opposite. Totally opposite. Again, used in times of emergencies, just like a fire extinguisher. Could be a flare? Is it a flare? No. No, it can't be gas. No, not flare. No, yeah. it doesn't make the light. Yeah. But uh, used in times of emergency, what else do we have? Does it have to do something to do with smell? Does the gas smell some in some particular way? 
not a particular smell i don't think so nothing to do with the smell mm-hmm. okay so it is used to protect correct right it's used to like protect or it's it's used as a defense some sort of mechanism is that i won't call it a defense but okay it is uh, definitely helpful and important and required or needy at least we are needy and we need it we need it oh okay maybe oxygen i don't know how would yes. that come sense oxygen yes oxygen cylinders is this like the uh, sort of uh, what they use for the oxygen cylinders so you are in the right track but not the cylinders but where do you see oxygen where do you get oxygen uh, on the airplanes is that yes yes that is the correct answer yes uh, okay yes in the safety demonstration they tell you in case of any turbulence or if we are landing a mask will drop from the top and then what do you have to do you have to pull on the mask right. why do you have to pull on the mask because at the other end of the mask there's a pin and the pin is attached to this tiny chamber in which all these chemicals are kept so once you pull the thing sodium chlorate mixes with barium peroxide and the iron powder and it releases oxygen it releases a lot of oxygen which lasts about 15 minutes the other solution was to have a central cylinder which goes out to everyone where people can just pull the mask and use it but what if there is a issue with it and then everyone will you know suffer so what they did is they made these tiny tiny compartments also those who need it only will pull the trigger pull the mask and it won't go to waste oh, so yeah. that is how an oxygen mask on an aircraft works it is a chemical reaction that we have to start while we are sitting there by pulling the mask a pin pulls out and all the chemical reaction happens and all the other chemicals are filtered out of course before the oxygen comes around to us so yes that is the right answer that i was looking for well done on that hey thank you thank you uh, i mean again to be completely honest this is i think something i recall someone else asking me so that that's why i was like this is very familiar i have i i know this i never actually gave much attention that why do you have to pull the mask maybe i thought it was for access that you have to pull the mask down to yourself but no it's actually to initiate the reaction now that you mentioned it now that you explained the process it makes so much more sense like why would you know you pull the mask you can just put it over your face uh, yeah. but yeah that would makes entire uh, it makes a lot of sense something so simple uh, we don't even think about but there is so much of like science behind it now it's your turn and uh, please ask me a question and let's see how i fare we are talking about a particular fabric now here all right mm-hmm. so there is a particular fabric that the name of this fabric comes from actually a marathi word all right now this marathi word possibly comes from or derives from a sort of dockside seaside dockside village in mumbai mm-hmm. this fabric was used in the early 17th centuries or earlier uh, for making very cheap robust working clothes the english that were there around the time they found this sort of fabric very interesting and something that uh, they felt that they could use themselves so what they did was they started making trousers for workers like you know your factory workers or blue collar workers basically mm-hmm. with this particular fabric and uh, of course the uh, as always with the english this particular name was given its sort of british or english twist mm-hmm. all right it does maintain the elements of the name but uh, the british pronounce it their own way sure now because of this particular fabric and the sort of color that it had it is also often confused with another type of fabric which is also very durable uh, and something that's worn by everybody which has its origin in france now this fabric or the name of this fabric eventually became the sort of common name for a type of clothing that was first made famous by levi strauss in 1853 hmm at that time when they made it their intention was for again workers mechanics and stuff to wear this particular type of clothes because this had a lot of storage space if you would 
Yes, they they can store things very easily. Sure, sure, got it. Eventually, this became a very. I mean, it was found everywhere. A lot of film stars wore it, and uh, particularly in the nineties. Uh, I'm sure you and I would, you know, being from around that time, would have seen a lot of mm. uh, boy bands and uh, a lot of stylish people wearing these things or this side of clothing, which the name came from the uh, from the fabric itself. So, what is the name of this particular fabric or this sort of particular type of clothing? Okay, so I know the answer, but there are some bits that I did not know about it. So, the yes. uh, seaside dock village in Mumbai is Dongri. Yes, yes. And uh, from there we get uh, Dungri. Yes. And then the Dungri went to uh, the whole French uh, connection and the Levi Strauss that all is uh, Dungri itself. So your your bib overalls, the trousers uh-huh. that uh, they would wear, those were called Dungris. This is where the original of the word Dungri comes from. The Dungri, the fabric actually is oftentimes confused with another fabric from France which would that be that would be denim i'm not sure I'm yes just... yes yes that is denim the origin for denims comes from serge denims the fabric initially was called serge at that time any to- type of fabric would also be called as uh, serge from here so it was called serge denims uh basically serge from denims and that was eventually shortened to denims when it it sort of traveled across the pond Aha uh-huh. interesting yes yes in fact very interesting story about this question i initially wanted to ask you about the denims but when i was researching i found the original for the word dungries as well which i found very interesting i mean uh, you wouldn't think that something that's known world over actually originated here i learned this in bombay itself when i was in bombay i learned this from bombay and i was like wow dungri right here that's how it got dungri like who would have thought Yes exactly the who would have thought that uh, something so fashionable and that everybody knows from has originated from here another interesting word that has its sort of origins in india is the the word thug where people call the thug life actually originated from yeah yeah uh, thuggy which was uh, the word for uh, a group of thieves and robbers that would uh, yeah, travel yeah, 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 yeah. during the bugal eras that's uh, you know again uh, thugs of hindustan as they say is actually thugs of hindustan mm, yeah. <laughs> but yes <laughs> i was just reading a book recently uh, on the topic it's called anarchy and it is about the rise of east india company okay and the book starts saying one of the first words from in india to end up in the english language was the word loot because that's all they came to do loot Dude, yes exactly <laughs> that's how they got the word a cushy job as they say actually comes from the word cushy happiness wow yes so this is something that uh, uh, initially ruyard kipling actually used the word cushy in one of his poems and then eventually that sort of translated to cushy and became a cushy you know like uh, you're content with it So now it's my turn and hmm what i have is a question about travel it is about history and it is about origin of words wonderful so there is this spanish book okay i'll try to pronounce it of course my pronunciation will be all over the place and it's got a huge title uh, it goes Las Sergas del Moy Esforzado Caballero Esplanadien Hijo del Excelente Remadies de Gual translated into English it means the exploits of the very powerful cavalier Esplanadien son of the excellent king Amadeus of Gaul okay now basically what it is is a 16th century spanish romance novel written by one garcia ordones de montalvo 16th century romantic novel at the heart of the novel and by the way this thing was really really popular back in the day think of it like a chetan bhagat or a, a harry potter of that time 1600 okay and the book is about travels of esplanadian okay the prince of gaul as i said the exploits of the very powerful cavalier esplanadian is the name of the person son of the excellent king amadeus of gaul now as i said it is uh, about travels of esplanadian and in those travels 
One of the major places of interest in the whole story is an island described to be situated right of Indies, very close to the Garden of Eden. In the island, you will find griffins, which are lion and an eagle hybrid mythical creature. Mm-hmm. And these griffins were kept as pets by strong black women who ruled the island. And in a way, if you've seen uh, the Wonder Woman movies, Mm-hmm. It could be a thought of a society which was comparable to that of a Amazonian warriors in from the movies. Uh, this island had no metal, none at all, except for gold, which was molded into shields, spears, armors, and everything else the inhabitants needed. And this island was named after the ruling queen. So what we are talking about basically is the 16th century Spanish romance novel. Mm-hmm. written by one Garcia Ordonez de Montalvo in which he is talking about Esplanadian one person who is the son of King Amadeus of Gaul so Esplanadian of Gaul who is traveling through the world and one place that he reaches is an island which is described as right of Indies very close to Garden of Eden and in those islands you'll see griffins which are pets to these strong black women and this island has only gold no other metal and gold is used for everything else that is out there now this is the fiction part of it right now we come to real life story okay spanish explorers basically colonizers they were traveling and they were trying to find whatever land they could colonize and whatever they could earn they ended up on of course colonizers they stumbled upon a peninsula all right which they believed was an island and they thought are this island is just like what garcia ordonez de montalvo wrote in the book okay so they named this island after that island from the book and remember in the book the island was named after the ruling queen okay now this is long 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 ago that island's names and even that peninsula's name stuck and even till this date it is known by the same name tell me which is this famous 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 place which gets its name from this amazing story or the traveling king yeah that is what you have to tell me all right so you said that it was near the indies correct yes very close to the garden of eden apparently very close to the garden of eden okay and this was considered uh it was in the peninsula yes and uh, they were reminded of uh this island from from the book and in the book the island they had uh griffins griffins right you said yes yes okay and there were uh the queen so sort of like amazon and the island was named after the ruling queen but place that they found mm-hmm. was not on an island but was in fact a peninsula yeah so these actual real life spanish explorers looked at this place and it reminded them of the story that they had read this really famous story and they said oh let's name this place after that island from the book okay and eventually the name just caught on and it just got stuck and till this date the name has is there for this major place quite famous place quite famous place okay so the place that they discovered was not an island it was a peninsula hmm arabian peninsula is it somewhere in the arabian peninsula not at all not at all uh, i would suggest uh, don't go by uh, that uh, to the right of indies very close to garden of eden that was a fictional account right so okay, don't go by that okay that's a fictional account okay 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 yes 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 oh, so so uh, the spanish colonizers I know for a fact they spent most of their, I mean, most of their sort of conquest and their sort of colonizing happened, you know, in South America. So, uh, am I right to assume it's supposed to be somewhere in the South of America? Close. Okay, so not in South America, but close to South America. Yes. Okay, so South America, close to that, you have. Uh, Let's just say America, North America. North America, Havana. No, no. Not Havana, Cuba. No, again South America. Okay, uh, let me give you a hint because uh, so far I have not given anything which will give you the name of the entire thing. 
So here is the where the root words come into play. All right. So remember ISIS. I mean, of course, we remember ISIS. It was not too back. ISIS when they were basically they took over Syria and a few other places. Yes. They were trying to establish something. Do you know the word for it? It was also a popular podcast. Levant. Uh, I know something to do with Levant, Syria, Iraq. What was the kingdom? If you could remember, what was the name of the kingdom that they were sort of trying to establish, or what the kingdom was called? I'm drawing a blank here. Kingdom. I'm not too okay. Sure. I know that area is where you had the sort of. Uh... So actually, what had happened is from that area, word traveled from modern day Arab area to Spain, mm-hmm. and from Spain, it ended up in this Spanish romance novel. Mm-hmm. This word. and that word eventually with those spanish explorers ended up in north america oh okay where a city was named so there is this amazing chain which starts with modern day arab where modern day arab uh, region is and it goes all the way across the continent to one of the biggest cities or the places in america in america so if you're saying america spanish uh, peninsula Somewhere around Florida, is that? Am I close? I don't think so. Florida is uh, really close. Not close. Okay. Actually, I'm not so great at uh, thing American geography. Geography? No, fine. So uh, it is the name of a city, you say? Yeah, it is a state actually. Yeah. Okay, so. And if I think it is on the west coast. West Coast, yes. So because uh, California is around that side, California, Nevada. Yes, yes, yes. California. California. So in Arabic, now watch this, ah. Huh? In Arabic, the title was supposed to be Khalifa or the Caliph. Oh, right. The Caliphate, yes, yes. The Caliphate, right. right. So Caliphate, Caliph, all of those when they went to Spain, they became Calafia. So Khalifa became Calafia that was the name of the queen and her island was called California basically Calafia became California and hence this place this actual place became California wow it all started in modern day uh, middle east and it ended up in California that is a great uh, story a great chain of events rather you can say right it is so amazing that over the years so many things happened from one person writing a famous book to uh, spanish explorers going to find new places to loot to trade between spain and uh, the arab world and california has the same route as you know caliph that is caliphate that is just beauty of this modern world that we live in we live in exactly i mean the origin of words then the uh, more more to the fact the the story behind some words is, are so interesting that's why you know i like questions like these where you know you find these out these are uh, one of my favorite uh, questions where you know word root comes in because it's barely ever about language it's more about uh, as we said even in the english language uh, in the previous question where english language all the words that are taken in yes dhangri dongri it tells you such a beautiful story about the history of the place i mean just take that entire dhangri and dongri who would have thought i know i know nobody makes that connection just like now here the the caliphate and california yeah they have the same root yes they have the same root great great question yeah Great. So now it's your turn to ask me a question. So, like I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, pop culture is one of my favorite avenues when it comes to quizzing and just in general. Let's pick up something from pop culture. Love it. Most specifically, uh, one of my favorite franchises. This is the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Ah uh-huh. ha. So if you've seen the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise you have all these characters and all these actors that were there. Mm-hmm. We are going to talk about a particular actor Jeffrey Rush who played the character Captain Barbosa. Barbosa. Yes, 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 yes. Jeffrey Rush, brilliant actor, he played the character so well Captain Barbosa, but he felt uh, that his character for whatever he is would be overshadowed by his more good-looking castmates. Johnny Depp, Orlando Bloom, Keira Knightley. So, uh, in his mind, is that 
if he's in a scene i mean he he wanted uh, people to notice him mm-hmm. you know uh, he he felt that he wouldn't be noticed because there was someone more better looking on 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 the uh, on the screen so he came up or he thought of very ingenious method very simple method to make sure that he was always noticed first whenever he was in a scene okay so very simple method mm-hmm. he used this method to make sure that he was always noticed first whenever he was in a scene scene okay now this is a great idea and something that uh, even you know you don't realize something that uh, is very so minimal that nobody would realize uh, but in my when i was reading this i read about this i said okay it makes sense but maybe in certain places around the world where the movie was shown it probably wouldn't have the same effect hmm these regions might be uh, you know your middle east or some east asian countries that this thing hmm, what, hmm, hmm, hmm. might not have the same effect so what is this sort of very simple idea that he used i think i know this and you know i had actually gone in this rabbit hole a while back hmm and that was primarily you know where it started was uh, so you seen tv show hosts right those american late night tv show hosts from your right. uh, i mean graham norton is british uh, and graham norton is ulta actually but all these american hosts from your jimmy kimmel to conan to all of them yes they always sit on the right side of the stage and the guest is always towards the left the left yes yes and it was uh, i don't remember exactly why it was maybe it was just a thing that caught on that uh, they got used to it or maybe the earlier stages when they had hosted the show was stage was such that the person was always on the right but somehow our brain is so tuned to you know reading a image not just seeing a image but to process an image that it just makes sense for us to have the guest or the main star of attention on that left side and the host yes. on the right side so did jeffrey rush also try something similar that he chose where on the screen which portion or which side of the screen would he be occupying so that uh, if uh, we look at him we think he's the center of attention something like that that is exactly right that is exactly what he did he chose to stand on the left of the screen rather than the right i get your sort of reasoning behind it uh, let me tell you what and why he thought this was a good idea and uh-huh. sort of why i feel maybe this was the reasoning behind why people especially in uh, your like you said the tv shows yeah and why i mentioned maybe in certain countries it wouldn't work the reason being we read english from left to right so we are already conditioned to look at the left side of a book or a a page or a menu or anything we always are conditioned to look at the left of something and then uh, gloss over to towards the the right that was a sort of reasoning that he had that since people read from the left to right they will keep looking at the left hand corner and they will uh, notice him first because he was standing on the left side of the screen now uh, of course in arab countries the the script is entirely the opposite and some south some east asian countries they have a very different script altogether so they notice things very differently than we do because we uh, uh, although are multilingual we still have the same script uh, left to right so that is the sort of reasoning behind why he chose to uh, be in the left of the screen and why i believe maybe the the hosts in these late night shows as well choose to have the uh, the guests on the left because that's what they are noticed that's what our brain is trained to notice first that is so cool and it's so cool of jeffy rush to come to think of it i think he's easily the better actor among all of them i mean as good as kiran knightley or lando bloom are and johnny depp i think jeffy rush is maybe a league above yes but yeah quite ingenious of him yes he stole every scene that he was in uh, definitely he was like the star he was the actual star of uh, those movies yes i think uh, that's the thing right the villain has to be good enough for the hero to look good like if uh, mogambo wasn't good enough i mr india would have would been <laughs> as mr impactful. india yeah exactly right amazing so now uh, what we do nidal is now we move to the final part of today's show which is the audience question 
so in this audience question what we do is quite simple you have a question with you which you will ask and our audience members this is their chance to participate in the show uh, they can listen to the question if they think they know the answer or if they have a guess they can reach out to us at at the rate quiz time india on instagram and facebook and then uh, they can uh, just dm us and let us know what they think is the answer or also they can get us to get in touch with us on at the rate podcast studio 41 on facebook instagram twitter and in fact studio 41 on clubhouse also since it has dms now so they can let us know what they think is the answer also if i may take a tiny moment for everyone who's been listening to the show so far uh, if you have enjoyed the show uh, please consider donating to help uh, this podcast keep running the links are in the description you can choose whichever link you want and you can choose whichever whatever amount you feel uh, is worth your time or the show was worth it is totally fair it is totally on to you and on that note nidal the audience question over to you great so for this particular question let's 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 move to the animal kingdom another one of my favorite you know genres mm-hmm. not genres but favorite topics as such absolutely so there is a particular form, uh, phenomenon in the animal kingdom which has been on everyone's mind for a very long time but there are a few reasons or a couple of reasons that people say that exist in the animal kingdom one the first reason is thermoregulation okay is cited among one of the most popular theories basically cause a convection current of sorts due to their disparate properties helping in the regulation of body heat for the creature okay so something on the creature cause like this sort of a uh, convection current of sorts that helps in the regulation of body heat of the creature so this is one reasoning behind the particular phenomenon the second theory or second reason is based on an experiment that was considered or that was performed of late experiment concludes that this particular trait acts as an optical illusion to flies which causes a sort of confusion hence a lot of flies stay away from this particular creature mhm so what is this sort of phenomenon that we are talking about there are two sort of separate reasons given for this particular phenomenon one it is there because uh, of thermal regulation uh, helping in the body uh, you know regulating the body heat of the creature second reason being that it acts as a sort of optical illusion to flies causing the flies some confusion hence they stay away from uh, the particular creature so what phenomenon are we talking about here all right so that is the audience question you can send in your answers and uh, we'll tell you which one of you got it right the first and uh, thank you so much idol for coming on to the show it was an absolute pleasure to do this with you and uh, it was a pleasure talking to you pleasure discussing questions and origins of words and uh, absolutely you know it, Fantastic. It's, it's 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 a pleasure it's a pleasure it's always a pleasure And that brings us to the end of the episode. The podcast was hosted and produced by me, Aditya. The questions were researched and said by Anisha, Hisham, Keshav, Rishab, Madhavan, Vinayak, and Ananda. The episode was edited by Pranjal Gupta. Major credit to them all. Remember, you can support us by contributing to the podcast. You can donate to keep the show running. The links are in the description. That will be all for today. Thank you very much.